Good evening. It is Saturday the 2nd of May. This is our fifth podcast of this series. I'm Ben Harris and with me this evening is Jack Dunn. Today we're going to talk about the latest news from football around Europe. Uh, we're going to talk about the end of Ligue 1 in France, the end of the Eredivisie in Holland, as well as what seems to be going on in England. Uh, we'll also dissect the latest transfer rumours in the latest round of gibberish to done deal. And we'll be picking our England 23 as well as picking our 1-11 to as if we were making the decision for Gareth Southgate. Uh, we're going to start by dissecting the latest news that has come from uh, Holland. Um, all major events in the Netherlands have been banned until September because of the outbreak of the coronavirus. Um, this means for the Eredivisie that there will be no promotion or relegation teams and no champions. Um, just starting on that point, Jack, I mean, obviously we're seeing at the moment lots of different um, strategies deployed by um, a lot of different leagues and not necessarily just in football, but sort of sporting bodies around the world about how they are going to complete their seasons. Um, just on this policy that uh, has come from the Netherlands, what do you make of it? Um, yeah, I think it's difficult for clubs to, uh, sorry, for leagues to award a particular club the title, especially when the situation is as tight at the top of the table as it was in the Eredivisie. Yeah. Um, there are only seven points separating first and fourth place, and Ajax and Alkmaar, who were in second place, were tied on 56 points. It was just a matter of goal difference. Yeah. So to end the league there and then crown a champion, as they have done in the Belgian first division and um, Liga, it, it would seem very unjust. Yeah. That's why we've seen the same sort of thing take place in Portugal, where they've just cancelled the league for the foreseeable, but they can't award uh, uh, the title to a particular club because, as I say, it would seem unfair. Yeah. Let's talk about the um, potential sort of naivety um, of, of what's going on in this country in comparison. You know, we've now, we're now seeing more and more, it's mostly come out this week, that leagues around Europe are um, sort of shutting doors on the... Um, on the league saying that's it we're not playing another game until this outbreak until it's safe you know with it with, with what's going on with the outbreak um, and it seems to be that some leagues are I use the word easy very lightly but they're sort of shutting down their leagues like it's quite an easy decision um, whereas obviously in the Premier League, which we'll, we'll talk about later, but just to summarize it, you know there's been this ongoing debate about how the season's going to finish. And now it's culminated in this sort of um, final all or nothing vote, which is happening um, this Friday. Do you believe then, I mean, obviously we both want football to come back, but going, going setting aside sort of sentimental reasons for a second, because leagues like the Eredivisie are shutting down, are the Premier League therefore being naive to try and um, put, Trying to trying to continue their league behind closed doors. I think, as we know, England is behind some other European countries, and there's almost an indication in the fact that Italy and Germany were planning to um, make a return to football. Um, German football was looking to make a return a week today, yeah. but uh, Merkel has now said, "No, we need to 
uh, big bit more careful again to prevent a second wave. Yeah. Um, in Italy, there was a un- apparently a unanimous decision um, that they were set to see out the season on the 18th of May. That's now been put to a halt. Um, so do I think that the plans for the Premier League to return will be scrapped? Yes, I do. It's just a matter of then what do we do with the season? Yeah. And where European leagues have just cancelled the season flat out, like as I say, um, Belgian League, Eredivisie, Ligue 1 and the Portuguese League, um, there seems to be a trend that teams are being awarded the trophy if they're clearly ahead of uh, the, the team in second place. Yeah. So um, Club Bruges was 15 points clear. As we know, PSG were 12 points clear. It's been broadcasted that they've won the, the title. Um, but then it's more difficult in the Italian league to chase for the Scudetto. There's only a point between Juventus and Lazio. German football, there are it's six points between first and fourth place. Yeah. Um, it's not like that in the Premier League. So actually, I'd say the Premier League executives are in an easier decision to just call a lockdown. I think possibly one of the reasons why there's a massive debate why that's not happening is obviously um, the money involved with sort of having the games aired and obviously the Premier League is watched around the world whereas the Eredivisie doesn't have as much exposure in the Netherlands obviously. Um, I mean in terms of keeping keeping the structure of, of football clubs for the future and, and to try and prevent um, financial problems and what have you, as tough as it sounds, the easiest thing to do is probably to play the rest of the season now, isn't it? To to avoid, um, you know, clubs going into serious financial difficulty, even at the top level. Yeah, and as you say, we've talked about it before, uh, that pyramid uh, in the Football League is so important to the game, especially in English football. Yeah. But we need to look at it from a different perspective and say, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to look at it from a different perspective and say, what's more important some money and people being able to watch football or um, coming together, not just as a nation, but as Europe and just calling the general lockdown to um, beat this thing as best we can. Mm. I mean, what, what would you, what do you think about, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I am a, a, a complete advocate. I mean, whether it's sem- uh, sentimental reasons or not, but I'm a complete advocate for football continuing. Um, because I think if it can, because I think the, the debate that there's been around, starting the Premier League again, if it starts and they do it again, because of the amount of people that have got involved and told the Premier League that they can't put it on because of this reason, that reason, whatever, um, that the Premier League will take every possible precaution to keep um, to keep it going. And if it does go ahead, there will be, you know, a huge amount of precautions taken. I mean, we'll talk about what some of the proposed theories are. Um, but if it can return safely, it'll also obviously, uh, I think we may have talked about this, whether it was during a podcast or after one, um, about the government saying that they, they having live sport on the telly is now, you know, a priority for them because it's what is more likely to keep people happy and not thinking about the lockdown. Yeah. Well, I think there are certain things where the government have realised that they need to keep the morale up. Yeah. And live sport is definitely one of those. It's then um, just 
how does the Premier League keep the players safe? Because there have been players that have uh, contracted the virus yeah. and don't want that to spread um, any more than it needs to, obviously. So, as you say, we'll talk about the different theories of what they could do to keep everyone safe. Um, but ultimately, if it comes to it, it will just be a matter of ending the season. And I'll definitely be ashamed because that's going to cause then a lot of upset at the bottom of the table with it being actually um, very tight um, to see who's going to go down. Um, also, who's then going to come up from the championship? Um, it would be it would be a, a great loss of a season if it was the year that Liverpool and Leeds were going to win. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, let's not talk about the Premier League too much because we are coming on to it in a bit. Um, just going back to to what's going on in the Netherlands at the moment. Um, now, obviously, because clubs are not going to have any extra income for the foreseeable in terms of you know um, match revenue, um, Eredivisie clubs are now pitching in for furlough, uh, support, so government support for the for the wages after the season has been abandoned. Fourteen of the eighteen clubs in the Holland First Division have said that they will plan on use. They plan on using a government support, um, but you know this. This worries me. 14, 14 of the eighteen clubs have said they're going to plan. They're they're planning on using government support, but three of the four clubs that um, have declined to say whether they would apply are Ajax, PSV, and AZ Alkmaar. So I mean, certainly two of the of the biggest. Um, clubs in in the Netherlands um if there's obviously no government backing uh for wages and for these clubs but even in it potentially with government backing there's no guarantees about clubs staying um financially stable is there no definitely not is that everyone at the league is that everyone at the club is that all players as well I'm not sure to be honest. It just says the source. It was a it was it was a Dutch source, and it just said that um, clubs were pitching in for um, government support financially um, using the term furlough. Um, so, I mean, because it didn't give any extra detail, I would suggest it's it's possibly the same as what it is over here. But I mean, you know, the league in the Netherlands is is probably quite a diverse league in terms of financial power. You know, Ajax have obviously got by far the most financial power in that league, but you probably look down the bottom end of that table. I mean, I don't know an awful lot about Dutch football, but there probably isn't that much money going down, you know, at the, at the bottom of the league, so the players probably aren't on that much money. No. Uh, it's a different situation then, isn't it, to um, what we were expecting in the Premier League when... Clubs such as Tottenham were asking for financial backing from the government, yeah. and even Liverpool uh, that went through that brief stage of uh, finan- planning to be financially backed by the government and through the furlough scheme. Uh, it's a different situation, as you say, in such a financially diverse league. Yeah. Um, and it's it's quite good that Ajax haven't gone for that and PSV um, because they would then face a massive backlash probably yeah but for those lower sides the the less rich sides in that league they probably need it otherwise yeah. they're going into massive debt yeah well the game the game according to the same dutch source um the dutch first division stands to lose around 300 million euros between all of the clubs um and obviously 300 million euros depend on how that is divided among the clubs um do you know even if 
some clubs down the bottom end of that division are losing sort of five million euros, which you would expect them to. Um, it is detrimental. And, you know, this is part of the reason why I'd say I'm an advocate of football continuing if it can, because now also, not necessarily just financially, um, but found out yesterday that um, the ADO Den Haag coach uh, manager, Alan Pardew, which I didn't even know he, he managed there, to be honest, um, he's resigned after the season was cancelled. Um, there is now a worry among you know, the leagues that have decided to cancel their seasons and also the leagues that are planning or thinking about cancelling their seasons, that um, this could happen as well. Not necessarily the financial backing of the club um, starts to tumble, but even just the quality of who they've got, who they've got on, you know, on the staff and in the team. Um, that now this, because football is not continuing, and I understand the reasons why it's not continuing, don't get me wrong, I'm not playing down those reasons, but looking at it from a purely football perspective, closing down the league like this actually doesn't just bring financial difficulty, does it? Not for some clubs. Uh, others that are in the same situation are going to do everything in their power to maintain the uh, skill levels that they had before and maintain the actual, um, you know, the quality of the players they have yeah. and the staff they have, of course. Yeah. It's like we've seen with Ajax. They're, they're back to training already. Yeah. So it's actually, that'll be on a, I wouldn't even say club to club basis. That's on a individual basis of which players want to stay motivated and which staff wants to stay motivated obviously difficult to do and you can understand why some won't yeah Yeah. but it it then is just a matter of these people saying we're 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 professionals that their job actually when we're talking about it realistically is it necessary in the sense of other workers absolutely not is it necessary as you said to keep morale up like, I don't know, people that work in a garden centre, that's something you wouldn't normally compare footballers to. No. Um, yeah, it kind of is necessary. So they, they need to look at it in that respect and say, OK, we just need to stay professional here and do what we can to maintain the quality of what we have. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's let's change the focus to another league um, that I wanted to talk about. It's Liga in France. Um, I just quickly run through the situation of what's going on there so PSG were awarded the title um, as they were 12 points clear uh, we're, we can compare that to Liverpool who are currently 25 points clear but we'll talk about that in a second uh, PSG have since said that they want to dedicate the title to healthcare staff looking after patients uh, down in Ligue 2 the uh, second league in, in France um, Lorient have been crowned champions on the same principle but they were only um, a point ahead of Lance, who are the second place team, uh, but both teams have been promoted. Um, the difficulty that something like this throws up, you know, I mean, I don't disagree with PSG being awarded the title. Technically, you know, like Liverpool still can, mathematically, they can still finish second. Um, if you are deciding to cancel the league and a team is something like 12 points clear, um, I can understand why you would award the table, but my question is, what would you say is the... Because in comparison, then you only have to look at the league below um, Ligue 1 to see that Lorient have been crowned the champions by only a point. 
So where would you say, because I feel to be crowned champions, I know, I mean, it doesn't have as much um, as much sort of goodness about it. I'm not using the right word there, but, you know, because of the situation, it's not as um, as big a win. It's that you don't feel as good because of the circumstances that are going on. But yeah. for me, winning the league by a point and being crowned champions when there's so many games to go is unfair. But winning them by twelve, by winning, be, being in a winning position by twelve points seems actually quite fair to me. So my question is, where would you say is the cut off between where where does unfair start to become fair? I think it needs to be at least nine points. Yeah. It needs to be a substantial lead, doesn't it? Yeah, at a point, I, I disagree with. I've already used the word unjust. Uh, I think there are it's something like four points between um, Bayern and Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Yeah. I don't think that's fair if they were to just award Bayern the trophy. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely can't be done in Serie A with Juventus chasing their ninth title and Lazio... The, the unexpected team of Europe to yeah. win that league, um, only a point behind, that can't be done. No. So it's those, those small differences where it's a point or there's you know six points between first and uh, fourth place, yeah. that can't be done because we're not only talking about who's crowned champions here, we're talking about who goes into Europe. Yeah. Um, that's another thing I've seen in France, how... Ren have made it into Europe for the first time in their history. Yeah. Uh, into the Champions League, but they weren't actually that far ahead of the next team. So then it, it's difficult. But if we're just talking about the champions and who's crowned champions, I think it needs to be at, at least three three wins. You know. Yeah, three wins apart. I mean, yeah. I, in I mean, it may have been potentially uh, a um, slightly easier decision. I mean, you know. Lons fans who lost out on the title by a point are still being promoted. So, do you know, like their ultimate goal probably won't have been to win League Day. It will have been to go up into the French First Division. So, you know, I suppose that's a slightly easier decision there. But as you just said, if you're going to do that in the Bundesliga, if you're going to do that in Serie A, um, in the Premier League, if, if there was only a point separating the first two teams, it would be a much more... Um, unfair decision wouldn't it definitely I think it just needs to be clear I, I, I struggle to put a tag on it it just needs to be clear yeah. that the team has run away with the season like Bruce did like PSG consistently do yeah. and like Liverpool have this season well, let's have a look at some of the um, teams that are not happy about the decision in, in the French League so you've got um, Lyon are the, are the first one um, a week before the lockdown started, um, they were fifth uh, in the table. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's a European place in in the French league. Probably is not. Um, yeah, not. yeah. So I mean, it makes sense, wouldn't it? So they were a, a week before the lockdown. I, I I assume they 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 were in Europe because otherwise I I wouldn't see why they'd make this appeal. Um, but. They were fifth before um, the week before lockdown. Then they played the game, uh, the last game of the of their season in inverted commas before this lockdown took over. And I think they lost it and they finished seventh. So they dropped two places um, just by losing a game. So obviously they could 
go back up to fifth with more games. But because of what League One's policy has been, um, that's how it stayed. So I that would then probably suggest to me that Leon now are not in a in a European place. Yeah, um, I think it's the top three make the Champions League, and then the next two make the Europa League. Right. Okay. 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 I I'm not a French football expert, so I'm not I'm not sure. But the 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 me either. So don't quote me on that. <laughs> but I, I think so because I think Rennes were third, and they've just squeaked into the Champions League. Yeah. Um. So you know that is that that is obviously the, the there's grounds on that. There's a two sided argument, isn't there? You know, it's it's unprecedented circumstances, and you know some leagues are deciding to finish their table where it's at. Um, and you know, if you lost a game, you lost a game, and that's where you finished. I understand where Leon are coming from, though. Um, down at the bottom end of that table as well, we'll talk about both issues at the same time. Um, Amiens have threatened um, further action against Ligue 1, according to The Guardian, um, as they face relegation. Um, they're currently in the um, second to last uh, place in the table, which is the, the top place of relegation, obviously. Um, but with 10 games left, they're only four points away from safety. And they were in, a be- they were in more, uh, like a better recent form um, than the team that were above them. So there, were, there there's much evidence to suggest that actually Amiens might not be relegated. Um, and with 10 games left and only four points behind, Ligue 1 have condemned them to to being relegated. What Based on those two issues, I mean, talk about them separately, but what, what do you make of, of the two appeals that may come from those two teams? So I think regarding the relegation... We can probably talk about that when we go through the Premier League because that's uh, a much t- that's actually a much tighter situation than four points difference. Yeah. So I'll definitely touch on that then. About uh, Leon's complaints, it's a shame for them because they're a club in Ligue 1 that you'd expect to make Europe. Yeah. In in the actually they've still got a chance to um, make it to the last eight of the Champions League now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's a a team you expect to to do very well. And actually, although they're making an appeal, they haven't been good enough, have they? No. Well, that's that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's kind of what it boils down to. If they were good enough and they'd stop the season, there'd be no complaints. They haven't been good enough compared to how good you'd expect them to be. And this is what's happened. It's been done. It's been done. Um, you know, it's it's actually a sovereign decision for the safety of the whole population yeah. to complain. Uh, I get it. Fair enough. It seems unfair, but look at the broader scope of things. It doesn't really matter, does it? There is also, I think, um, an argument. Uh, I've just, I've literally just pulled up um, Leon's fixtures that they still got to play. Um, apologies for the pronunciation because I don't speak French. Um, but they've still got to play. They've got th- these are their remaining games, right? So you've got Reims, uh, Stade Rennes, um, Nantes, uh, Marseille, um, Nimes, Monaco, Dijon, Montpellier, Angers, and Stade Brest. So they haven't got to play PSG. The only difficult game there, I'd say, probably Marseille and Monaco, but. Pff, and Rennes. 
Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, that's the other one. So, but they haven't so, got... There's certainly room for them to finish, based on those based on those fixtures, there's certainly room for them to finish in the um, in the Europe places. There is, there is. It, it depends, actually, whether um, Europa League and Champions League want to make an exception. That's a possibility. Yeah. Uh, but... It's difficult to say. We could speculate about all this all day, whether they would have won, whether they would have lost. But it's no good for them, I don't think, just to keep thinking about it and you know wishing they'd made it and, and whatnot. They, after all, they did lose a game. As you say, they were, were in fifth place. And then they did lose a game a week before the lockdown when it was quite evident that everywhere was going to go into lockdown. So yeah. every club would have been in the exact same position. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to point on something that we weren't planning on talking about, but I just, uh, I just appreciate your opinion on this. What do you think is going to happen um, to the Champions League and the Europa League now? Because I would say, on the face of it, having not given it much thought, having only given it like five seconds thought, um, I would probably imagine that they will just be scrapped this season. Do you think? I I think. Um, from the wider body uh, perspective, so from UEFA's perspective, you know, if they want football to come back, football at club level on in domestic terms when you're playing teams in your own country is going to come a lot sooner than uh, European football. And I think that actually next season's domestic football, so the 2021 season in domestic football, will start before your if Europe was to start again, so if the Champions League and Europa League were to start again, I think that would still be after the start of next season. So in terms yeah. of what's going to happen with this season's Champions League and Europa League, I think it's just going to be left far too late. And you know, UEFA and the individual leagues in every country will want to get their domestic seasons up and running again. Yeah, but then what happens to Manchester City? Do they get to play in next year's tournament? Interesting. Yeah, they, it's interesting. We um, know they've been banned from European football. Yeah. But they you know, still had a good run at it this year. Yeah. What happens to them? Do they get a second chance? I think the wisest thing to do then would be, as you say, just end up you know, moving it to next season. Yeah. If that's possible. Yeah. Um, I, I saw something that was very true on Twitter the other day. I can't actually remember who posted it. It was, wasn't uh, an ex-Liverpool legend. Um, but they were well, not an ex-Liverpool legend anyway, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. They posted uh, just saying, football isn't like Christmas Day. Football isn't like New Year's Day. We don't have to play it on a set date. So there is... There is room to move it around. Yeah. We don't know how long this thing is going to last, but just because it can't be played on a particular day doesn't mean it has to be scrapped. No, definitely it, not. It can be moved and something can be worked out, especially in Europe now with, what, like four or five games left? Yeah. Yeah, there's not yeah. an awful lot left, is there? No. Um, let's talk then about the Premier League. So... Um, Project Restart is the infamous name of the project that would see um, the commitment to completing the 1920 season. 
Um, according to the BBC, Premier League clubs are being told that neutral venues are essential to plans this season, uh, to complete this season, uh, but only, and this is the phrase, when safe and appropriate to do so. Um, there's been an awful lot of, of uh, speculation and also silence at the same time, really, um, about what's going to go ahead. But obviously, Premier League met yesterday and, and it looks like there's going to be this um, definitive vote. Uh, based on what we've talked about, I mean, it obviously looks like from the Championship, Leeds and West Brom are being promoted, um, which I think is fair. We can go into whether you think that's fair later. Um, the four teams in the playoffs in the Championship are then, it looks like they're going to have a tournament which will decide the um, the third team that comes up. But then, based on all the issues that we've spoken about, what happens with relegation? Do we play the Premier League as a um, as a league with twenty three teams in next season as opposed to twenty? Um, but and if you don't believe that's the case, how do we decide who goes down? I think I think playing it as a league of twenty three would be sensible. It'd probably be the fairest thing to do as well. I mean, there's an argument that you could relegate. Um, Norwich um, but I think certainly for the teams that sort of hanging around I mean all those teams that we, we talked about when we did the bottom six predictions I think whether it's last week's podcast um, you know we were both of us were predicting regardless of what order the teams were we were predicting a very close battle right until the very end weren't we yeah um, so what what would you say um, about the top end then bearing in mind we've talked about um psg being awarded the title as we're 12 points clear liverpool now 25 points clear i mean i'm if the season decides to be cancelled um do liverpool get awarded the title or do they take the um holland approach it's more likely that Liverpool will be awarded the title. Yeah. Because yeah. they're so far ahead of the, the next best, which yeah. is obviously Sydney. Yeah. Um, and that's the approach that European leagues have taken where there is a, a clear winner. Uh, and I say that loosely. Yeah. Um, the, the real problem is relegation in Europe. We talked about the problem in uh, making Europe in League 1 with Leon just now. Um, the the bigger one for me is relegation. Really, I know it's not as uh, financially important to clubs as making Europe because that can make a massive difference. But yeah. it would be a shame to see a club like I don't know Bournemouth go down because they didn't get a chance to grind out the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. So um... I think relegation is the place where it just needs to be. Uh, it, it just needs to say there's an exception. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what do you say? Uh, the, 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 there was a um, there's been a number of suggestions, hasn't there, about how they would uh, complete this Premier League season. Um, one idea that I did like um, was the St George's Park idea that you know there'll be a World Cup style end uh, where there's two games uh, a day played um, at St George's Park. Um, for me, there's not really that much of a safer option, is there for you? No, I, when I uh, when I read that, I thought that definitely seems like the safest option I've seen, other than just cancelling the season. Yeah, and it seems also. Taking, sorry, go on. Taking over a city, 
probably is the next best, but still not not very safe. Yeah. Uh, like like Manchester, and then just I don't know using Goodison, Anfield, uh, the Etihad, and Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, that would be the next best approach, I guess. But the the best one I've seen is definitely this, where there's a World Cup style. Um, they t- they literally just use St George's two to three matches a day. All the players occupy one hotel, no contact with the outside world, um, and just just get it done as quick as possible. Yeah, and also obviously alongside government regulations, if the players are isolating for two weeks before the season starts, um, and all the people that will be involved in televising the game, officiating the game, everybody that will be on St George's Park to deliver the outcome of the Premier League if they all self-isolated for two weeks according to government regulations they would be free of symptoms so as long as nobody comes in or out the whole worry about social distancing because obviously that would be a problem in football because it just couldn't exist on the pitch um, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be necessary would it because it would be a completely isolated event yeah the uh, only- it's just um whether they get tests, yeah, but probably at least, uh, well, it definitely is probably at least three, four hundred people tests that they're going to have to uh, run, yeah. which could be used on people who definitely need it more. Yeah. So whether that whether that's fair, well, it's definitely not fair. But whether government are going to go ahead and do that and focus on, as we've said consistently, the morale of the yeah, exactly. Getting, getting live sport back. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly um, in the national interest. Well, national interest is in for the for the majority of people, you know, if live sport can be back, it it, it will make a, a massive difference, won't it? Yeah, and no doubt as well, it's not just football fans. I'm uh I, I'm someone that will turn the T V on and watch any sort of live sport. Yeah. So uh, anyone else that's like-minded that uh, say I don't know a tennis fan or badminton they'll just turn the TV on and be glad to see some live sports so that'll make a difference and yeah. encourage people not to go outside and just sit in front of their telly for two hours of the day yeah um, so it definitely is in uh, in best interest of government to do that I think um, but then it, it could also kick up a fuss it's so difficult to do um, but if they are going to do it, they just need to stick to their guns. Premier League needs to say, right, we're going to test everyone, going to self-isolate for two weeks, uh, and then we're just going to get it done. And with how many matches are there left of the season now? For the Premier League, between nine yeah. and between nine and ten for for some teams, so they've got a game in hand. So we'll say ten, two to three matches a day. It can be done very quickly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. What do you? I mean, the, there was another suggestion by Gary Neville, which I I think is absolutely dreadful. Um, but that's Gary Neville for you. The um, yeah. the the decision he 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 would like to see the Premier League taken abroad to a place where um, it was coronavirus free. I mean, oh, wor- brilliant, brilliant idea. That. <laughs> yeah, the worry, the worry for um, the worry, I think for a lot of people, uh, certainly government officials, is that. There's going to be fans, you know, congregations of fans. I don't know whether you've been to St George's Park, but I have. And actually, it's probably the safest place to prevent um, big congregations of fans simply because it's in the middle of nowhere. And in terms of the main road, 
um, you turn off of St George's Park and it's like a mile, a mile and a half drive, I'm sure, to actually get to the St George's Park um, sort of campus. So in terms of enforcing, and also the main road is still in the middle of nowhere to turn off to it. It's in a really remote place. Um, so in terms of making sure that there weren't big congregations of fans, it's probably easier to enforce that at a place like St George's Park than it is at a central stadium, whether it's Wembley or the Etihad or, or Old Trafford. Yeah. I would like to believe that fans aren't just going to turn up anyway, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. You would like to think so, but... I'd, you know, you'll never know with English football fans. It's always a possibility because, you know, and I say that it's actually a minority, but a minority of absolute idiots that yeah. could do that. Yeah, definitely. But you'd like to think otherwise. Yeah, definitely. Um, St George's is definitely the safest option, yeah. in my opinion, and the, the format they're doing, um, one hotel for all the players and the hotel to be just completely cleared out yeah. as soon as they leave. Um, yeah. Yeah, that no, makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, moving away from the coronavirus for a second, as we obviously like to do, we are now going to look at our preferred England uh, 23. Uh, these are the selections us two would make if we were in command of the 23 players going to the Euros in whatever year it's going to take place. Um, this does come with a bit of a warning. Um, I know certainly for my selection that there is a bit of bias involved in a couple of my choices. Um, but nonetheless, I think I can back it up with something rational. Um, so let's start with your keeper choices, Jack. Yeah, I've just gone for two. Just went for Dean Henderson and Nick Pope. Yeah. They've really proved themselves to be two of the best keepers in the Premier League this season. And we know what that means. It means two of the best keepers in Europe actually because the Premier League is one of the most competitive yeah um, whereas Jordan Pickford although he did he did have a good World Cup campaign um, there wasn't really much special other than uh, that that Columbia penalty shootout for him yeah. so around the hype he was definitely bigged up yeah and he compared to all the outfield players on on the team I've picked he, he doesn't really stand a chance in terms in terms of quality yeah. so that's why i've just gone for henderson and pope who've really shown themselves to be uh the, the best they can be yeah and obviously what's important for for people who are listening we're not um we both do understand that pickford was um well and to a certain extent is i'm talking like his career is over but you know was a good keeper for england in the world cup um but I think that the what England fans have now got to try and um, we've got to break the habit of keeping the same players in that squad simply for the reason that they were in the last selection. Because England used to do that for years. They used to keep the same players in the squad because, oh, they've played for England before. They've got experience playing for England. If they're good players, they should be in the team. That is how you know so many teams that have been successful have done it in the past. They just put their 23 best players into the selection. Forget players that have had England experience, because to be honest, I don't think having experience for England actually plays that much of an advantage. Okay, yeah, it maybe has a, a small advantage. Um, I'm not saying it puts you worse off playing for England, but, you know, people will be... I think there'd be a lot of people that would disagree with us saying Dean Henderson should be 
first keeper for England. And they're re and if I if I ask them why, if we ask them why you believe that Dean Henderson shouldn't be first keeper for England, they would say because Pickford has got England experience and Dean Henderson hasn't. Yeah, but Pickford didn't have England experience. Once. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when Pickford broke into the England team, though, it was he was probably there weren't really any England keepers that had um, experience that you could really justify putting in over Pickford just because that was the best we had at the time I mean you know Nick Pope was the other option wasn't he but in terms of England experience and quality you, you, neither neither one was a, a league above the other were they? No but but Pope's really upped his game. Yeah definitely um, so yeah I, I, I agree with your two goalkeeper um, selections I've gone for three keepers I have put Pickford in there Um only simply on the basis that uh, usually England will select three keepers um, and Pickford's in the top three. So that that was what I went for. Um, your def- your defenders, Jack? Uh, I've got Biako Tamori. Yep. Who's done well for Chelsea this season, breaking through to the squad. I think he was away at Swansea, I believe. I'm not completely sure, but... Um, yeah, done done well uh, coming into the Premier League in his debut season. Uh, John Stones, yeah, he, um, he can look a bit of a fool, but he is he is in one of the best sides in the world um, at club level, yeah. and there's no reason why he shouldn't be selected for the England squad. Yeah. Then I've got Gomez, who's an absolute rock beside Van Dijk, and hopefully you can take that knowledge that he's learned from. Uh, Van Dijk and just instill it in everyone surrounding him. Yeah. Got Maguire there. He he was a player who was brilliant in the World Cup, and it's you know off the back of that he's got a very big transfer. Yeah. Uh, so he he I think he needs to be in the squad. Um, would I actually start him all that often? No, but it's definitely good to have someone in there who's. He's, as you say, uh, had some experience before. Yeah. But, but when you look at him as a player, right, it was almost like a James Rodriguez sort of thing. Did well in the World Cup, got a big money transfer and has done nothing since. He, he was playing for Leicester before, but he wasn't even that special for Leicester. He wasn't part of that, really part of that Leicester Premier League winning side. Yeah. So I, I don't think he's anything special, but I've got him in there purely because he, he seems to turn up for England. Okay. Uh, then I've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, do I need to explain? Not really. <laughs> then Aaron Wambasaka, who's a completely different style of player to Trent. Yep. But his, his defensive stats have been amazing this season. I think he's third in tackles, quite high up in interceptions. Uh, and we also know that he's fast. He's got actually got a good cross on him, so yeah, he could. He's definitely worthy of making the team. I think. Yeah, I'd agree. That's it, really. That's it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, hang on. No, I haven't. I've got Chilwell as well. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. Um, yeah. Where's, where's your left back? <laughs> yeah, Chilwell. There. Uh, he's he's been consistently good now for a couple of seasons and been linked with big money moves uh, he's he's done quite well for England as well so 
has to be in there. Yeah, fair enough. I'm interested to see uh, the structure of the rest of your team um, because I've I've gone for um, I've gone for three keepers and eight defenders, and you've gone for two keepers and seven defenders. So I'm looking forward to to the rest of your lineup. Yeah, I've got I've got quite a few attacking options right okay um i'll just go through the differences between mine i'm not going to reiterate the reasons why you put players in the team uh like stones obvious gomez obvious uh trent obvious wambasaka um how close was trippier to getting in your um in your defensive lineup against wambasaka and yeah, also, and sorry, sorry. Um, how close was Trippier and Kyle Walker? And Rhys James. Yeah. It's something I talked to you the other day about how um, these players like Trent have moved into the position of right back from midfield because uh, it's a less saturated position. Yeah. Uh, now there are six options for England, five, six options for England. So. It's definitely difficult to choose. Trippier has had a brilliant time at Atletico, um, completely upped his game and definitely suits his style of football more. Um, Kyle Walker, we know, has been good for England and is uh, City's first option. Well, what has been City's first option for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and Rhys James, another Chelsea player, as there are many this season, who have um, had their debut season and really, really had a, a big impact on that side. Yeah. So it's difficult to choose, but it, it just depends what style of football you want to play. And I think it's quite obvious with me going for Trent Alexander-Arnold and Ben Chilwell, what style of football I would want to play. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And there's according to um, the bookies as well, it's likely that um, Alexander-Arnold and Wan-Bissaka will be the two choices at right-back. It's actually quite interesting to see that Kyle Walker is quite a way down in terms of um, odds for him to be selected. Uh, the bookies really do not favour him to be selected. Um, but obviously we have, you know, that would, on the face of it, that would seem odd. But we are also talking about the fact that England have got Alexander-Arnold, Wan-Bissaka, Trippier and James as right back options so you know they're obviously probably in a 23 man squad only going to take two right backs away with them and you struggle you probably would struggle to confidently put Walker in your top two right backs I certainly would anyway yeah I think the two that we've we've both selected have to I mean if anyone wants to disagree with us get on Facebook Facebook page and let us know but hey I think it's clear that they're the two best options. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I've gone for so there's two chain, there's two differences between my defenders and your defenders. Um, I do have an extra one though. So I um didn't have Tamori in my team, um, but he did come very close. Um, based on uh, the season that he's had, um, I had to put James Tarkovsky in there, um, because I think you know this is. If there's ever a good time for a defender who's had a good season, uh, or a very good season in the Premier League for what he's been doing, um, to break into the England team, it's now for for James Tarkovsky. Um, So he's gone in there. Um, And then the other decision that I made, which I feel like I'm going to live to regret, but um, I'm not, although I'm a Liverpool fan, I haven't given up on him yet. Um, I've put Luke Shaw in there. 
simply because I wanted another left back. That was that was part of the reason why, and it was a toss up between Luke Shaw and Danny Rose. Um, and I'm not Danny Rose's biggest fan, so um, Luke Shaw went in there for me. Interesting. What would you? What have you gone for in your midfield then? Uh, okay, I'll just run you through them quickly, and if you want to stop me and ask any questions, then yeah. go ahead. Okay. Uh, so I've gone Oxley Chamberlain, Henderson, Madison, Mount, Ali, Barkley, and Declan Rice. So let me just, I'm just making a note of those so I can uh, see what is different. So you've gone for Oxley Chamberlain, Jordan Henderson, James Madison, Mason Mount, Dali Ali, Ross Barkley, and Declan Rice. Yeah. Right. So on the face of it, I've got, there's uh, two differences between ours there. So let's talk about the players that we've got um, as uh, the common players that we've got, um, which are five of them Oxley Chamberlain, Henderson, Madison, Mount, and Ali. Um, you've gone for seven midfielders. I've only gone for six, so there, there's one of them back. Interesting, yeah. actually, there's one player I've got here which you haven't put in, which I'm very surprised you, you haven't put in, but we'll talk about it in a second. Um, quick comment on Oxlade Chamberlain and Jordan Henderson, the two Liverpool players in there. Yeah, do you know what? A lot of what I've gone for here is um, actually based around having one midfielder sitting a bit deeper right. and then two going forward so that's why I've actually got Henderson and, and Rice well I've got Henderson in there because he is arguably the, in the player of the season yeah um, I would actually give him the captain's armband for England as well yeah um, and he's, he's just excelled this season and upped his game so much so he, he needs to be in there but you, you play him as a midfielder sitting back a bit and then that's the reason why I've also got Rice in there just to occasionally give him a rest and there's a lot of hope still for Declan Rice he's still young he's not a bad player he makes mistakes but he's actually um, there's a fair amount of hype around him yeah. expect to be uh, a big thing so he needs to be given that chance he hasn't had many chances for England yet really uh, so I don't see why he can't be given that opportunity uh, and then Oxley chamberlain obviously I think he, coming back from injury, he's been brilliant for Liverpool and I, I would never put it past him. There's, there's not a game where I would say, oh, he couldn't score in that game, yeah, you know. Yeah. I'd never put it past him to be 25 yards out and have a crack and score. Yeah, definitely. Which um, is exciting to watch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the Declan Rice, just a note on him again. Um, he was one. He was one of the differences between our our, our two teams. Um, I haven't put him in. I think what you said there is totally right. You know, to give Henderson a rest if you are going to play and um, one midfielder sitting deep, which you know if they are going to play a four three three, you would expect that to happen. Um, it's probably one of those players. You see, I couldn't really because I'd picked defenders. I'd I'd gone top heavy on defenders. Rice didn't get into my team, but I think because you didn't put as many defenders in, Rice is quite an obvious option to go in your team. So it, it the the selection of a player like De- Declan Rice probably depends on um, the other players that are picked in the team and, and how many midfielders Southgate's got, how many attackers and how many defenders. Yeah. Um. An interesting one, I'm sure, I think I know the reason why he picked him. The other difference between um, our two uh, selections is Ross Barkley. I presume you've gone for that purely off um, 
England performance. Yeah, there's, a, there's another player actually who uh, we'll, we'll see in my 1 to 11 who I've chosen as the England version of the player and not the club version of the player. Right. So Barkley's definitely one of them. Somehow he manages to turn up for England. Yeah. Uh, don't ask me why. I don't know when he's absolutely woeful during the normal season. Um, maybe that's a bit harsh, but he, he's nowhere near as good as he is when he plays for England. No. So he, maybe he's one of those players that just needs a big stage or feels that patriotism. I don't know, but I think he deserves to get in the team based on his previous performances. Yeah. Uh, quick comment on Deli Ali. Both of us uh, surprisingly put him in. Um, we were talking before we started this podcast that actually he's not an obvious choice for based on this season. Um, but nonetheless, he has still gone into the team for both of us. Yeah, I think it, there's something a bit different about him. He he doesn't he doesn't wow me, but he he has the potential to to wow me, and definitely has the potential to make a big impact on that pitch. Yeah, he's. He, I wouldn't put him put him in my starting eleven right now, but. I don't know, he feels like someone we've been expecting to do well for a long time. Yeah. But this season, uh, with Mourinho coming into Tottenham, we actually did see a bit of the, the Deli Alley that everyone's been expecting for years. Yeah. So maybe if he can take that into the England squad, uh, that could be a, a real asset to them. Yeah, potentially. Um, and then final note on the two young players that you've got in there, uh, James Madison and Mason Mount. I don't think much needs to be said really about these two, especially Madison. He's had a brilliant season for yeah. Leicester. Yeah. And, and then Mason Mount, uh, another player who uh, a lot of people will say, oh, he's not that good. Oh, he doesn't deserve to be in the Chelsea team. But the point is, he is in the Chelsea team. Yeah. And he's managing to really do really well as a, a, in his position. Uh, really brilliant link up play. And that's something that when you see my wingers you'll you'll realize that uh something that my team really needs yeah how uh i'll go through my six midfielders so um i've gone for mason mount james madison jordan henderson deli alley oxlade chamberlain and jack grealish how close was jack grealish to getting into your uh england selection he was close but the only two that you could put him over really are probably ali and barkley yeah and I felt like it's just a it's just a matter of Jack Grealish is a I don't know it's horrible to say but maybe he's a bit naive and I'm not sure whether he fits into that team very well. Okay. But you could make that about you could make that about a uh, comment about Madison as well. Quite yeah. a naive player um, who just expects to be the the best there and the first name on the team sheet. Yeah. But then. I've gone for, I couldn't put him in because of the, as I said, Barkley based on England performances yeah. and Ali based on what we all know he can do. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably the, um, the, the debate. I mean, I didn't, I, I was ruthless with my selection and just picked 23 plays based on uh, season performance, which is why Barkley and Rice didn't get in there. Um, but as you said, I mean, you know, you're saying Ali or Barkley. To be honest, it was just between my decision to put Grealish in was just um, over Barkley, 
simply because of, of season performance. But at the same time, if I saw Barkley being selected for the team and Grealish not, you could understand it, couldn't you? Um, what have you gone for? Obviously, seven. Well, I'm hoping seven attackers. Otherwise, the numbers don't add up. Um, what are what were your choices for attacking options? Okay, I've gone for Tommy Abraham. Okay. Callum Hudson Odoi. Yep. Jamie Vardy, Jaden Sancho, Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, and Raheem Sterling. Okay. So we've got Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson Odoi, Vardy. Sancho, Kane, Sterling, and what was the last one again? Sorry, Rashford. Rashford, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Tammy Abraham, right? He's managed to score twelve goals this season, having not been expected to do well, having faced injury, and uh, I just think that if there's, he's definitely not a starting player for that England team with the other strikers that we've got there. He can definitely make an impact in a game. He's not a player, this is something we talk about a lot, he's not a player you expect to score when you see him on the on the team sheet, but he definitely can. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, one thing to, com- to compare ours, um, I only had six attackers, so the only difference between our two was I didn't put Abraham in mind. Uh, the other six players, Hudson, Adoy, Vardy, Sancho, Kane, Sterling and Rashford, we both put in. Um, again, it probably comes back to the debate about um, why Declan Rice is selected for yours but not for mine because I went for an extra keeper and an extra defender. Um, Tammy Abraham is probably your sort of third choice centre forward, I would say, looking at that. Uh, depending on depending on where you decide to play Rashford, um, he's probably third choice, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, one thing hey, that, based on current form, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I do want to talk about though, um, because I I'd, I'd forgotten about him, um, but then stumbled across him when I was when I was just checking the squads to make sure I hadn't missed out anyone. I missed him out. Um, what an amazing backup option. Uh, Cal- Callum Hudson Odoyers um, for whether it's it's Sancho or Sterling, um, it's it's a perfect uh, second choice option, isn't it, for a winger? Yeah, I, I, he was unfortunate because there was so much um, expectation around him, and he was just breaking through into the England squad. Yeah, and he was getting assists, and I think he got like one or two goals uh, in not many matches. Uh, same with Chelsea, just managed to break through to the Chelsea squad. He was being linked with massive clubs like Bayern, and then he faced that ACL injury. Yeah. Um, but he's he's. If you talk to, well, obviously I don't talk to them, but if you listen to interviews with any other player that's played in the same team with him, yeah, they just they just reiterate that he is something special. Yeah, definitely. I watched him at Anfield, and he was he was. Um, I actually preferred watching Hudson Odoi to Hazard simply because you could see the potential in Hudson Odoi to one day be a miles better player than what Hazard was at Chelsea. Yeah. Um, let's have a look then at your because I mean the other options are pretty pretty um obvious. There is one debate I want to have with you, but we can have it when we um talk about the one to eleven, um and that is your centre forward choice, um so. Let's get, have you gone for a four three three on your uh, one to eleven, or have you gone for a slightly different formation? Uh, no, I've gone for a four 
4-3-3. Okay. So, uh, who is your keeper out of the two keepers that you've picked, Pope and Henderson, who gets in over the other? Henderson. Okay. I've gone for, there's definitely an argument to be made for Pope. Yeah. A bit more experience, but based on just performance this season, which is something that uh, we've done quite a lot, I think you definitely have to choose Henderson. Yeah, I've I've gone for the same thing for exactly the same reasons, so we don't need to talk about that much more. Uh, right back? Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. Uh, definitely could could have gone Aaron Wan-Bissaka. That is just completely based on how you want to play. Actually, with with both of, if both of those make it into the 23, which, as you've said, they're favourites to do, yeah. I'd expect Southgate to play Wan-Bissaka over Trent just because of how he plays football. Right. Okay. But, Obviously, this is my choice. I've gone for Trent. Yeah. Um, then I've gone for a very young centre-back partnership with Gomez and Tamori. Okay. I think there's an argument to be made for the other centre-backs there, like Stones. But um, I just thought, give everyone a run out, you know, see see how they look and then you can make changes and we'll, we'll find out soon what he does anyway. And Gomez is the obvious option at centre-back. You know, we're talking about Stones and Maguire, there being an argument for those two, but it's more likely that it, they will get in over Tamori. You know, it, it looks like yeah. Gomez is going to be the, the permanent fixture in that England centre-back. There's, there's um, no nobody taking Gomez's spot, I don't think, because just because of the fact that he's learned so much from the best defender in the world, one of the best players in the world, and he can definitely take that into the England team. Yeah. Uh, and your left-back choice? Right, well, well, you've only got back. one left-back. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jill, well, uh, I've already given you the reasons for that. Yeah. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Chilwell and Gomez, the same for me. Uh, I went for Tarkovsky, interestingly, over, um, over Tamori, but more importantly, over... Uh, Maguire and Stones um, I'm, I share the same opinion with you on uh, Harry Maguire John Stones was close to getting in there to be honest um, but I don't know what did it for me with Tarkovsky I think it's quite a special story um, it probably would be between again you know Gomez's position in the team for me is safe um, but it would be between sort of Tarkovsky and Stones for who's to take the, the other centre back um, who have you gone for? I presume you're playing a four three three with a with a CDM. So who have you gone for yep. at deep midfield? I've gone for Henderson. Yeah. Same position he plays for club level, and he's done so well. Uh, and he he doesn't really have to stay there either. Um, he can he can move about the pitch a lot. We've seen it when he's been placed um a bit further forward, yeah. which he's done actually a bit more this season. Um, but I don't think there's any arguments for him being there. No, definitely not. I'd, I'd put him in exactly the same position for the same reasons. Uh, who have you gone for at left centre mid? I've gone for Madison. Yep. Uh, same reason, plays there for club uh, and he's done it so well. He He's another player who um, I just expect to, you expect to make an assist, you expect to score a goal um, and not, uh, I've gone for Mount as well uh, as my other centre mid, and mm-hmm. he's not another player that I would expect to um, do the exact same things as uh, Madison in scoring goals, making assists. But I, I can definitely see him causing a bit of an upset for the other team and just being a mischief. And I think you always need that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've Henderson and Madison 
not not got any problems with those two there. Don't really have a problem with Mason Mount being in, uh, to be honest. Um, I was a bit of a uh, I, I was dreaming a little bit about the about the third centre mid um, choice, and I went for Grealish in mine. Um, purely not of the not on the basis that Grealish is better than the other players that were in contention. I just think if Grealish can fit into that system and isn't going to be naive about playing for England and can play with the players around him, I think he would be the best option to take that um, third centre mid third centre mid role in terms of going forward and just the style of play. I mean, Mason Mount wasn't too far behind. In fact, he, he was my second choice. Um, but just for sort of purely fantasy reasons, um, I went for Grealish as my, as my third centre mid. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's a fair enough choice as well. Yeah. Um, who have you gone for on the left wing then? On the left wing, I've gone for Sterling. Yeah. He's, he's proven himself. Now, there's doesn't need to be any arguments about whether he makes it into that squad. Yeah. He's he's a world-class winger. Uh, he's had a bit of a dip in form recently, but it, it's only uh, temporary. Yeah. Uh, exactly the same. So that doesn't need much more debate. Uh, who have you gone for on the right then? Jaden Sancho. Yeah. Actually, is um, is the best in Europe. Um, it, actually, stats wise, you put him on the same level as Messi, which is, I know it's a weird thing to say, but you can. He's he's had, I think it's like more assists than anyone else in Europe. He's scoring goals. Yeah. I know he's playing in the I know he's playing in the German league, but. I've mentioned it before on the podcast. It's more the the Bundesliga is more difficult than people give it credit for. Yeah. So um, also something we talked about privately is not just having players from the Premier League will really make a difference. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Because having that continental style of football brought into the squad um, definitely complements the team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I can I can't really disagree with that. Um, there isn't anybody, you know. The the good thing about this though is that actually you players that have missed out on those wing positions are the likes of Rashford and Callum Hudson Odoi. They're not they're not weak players. They're they're backups. I mean, you know, you had you were we were talking about Rashford when we were doing our Premier League one to eleven. I think in the, in the very first podcast that we did, um, and yeah, Rashford it, it has been seriously underrated this season um, and yeah. is, is a brilliant uh, backup option isn't he yeah he, he really has been very underrated and that's why I've actually got him as my uh, main striker ah, you've, gone, you've gone for Rashford up front have you yeah right okay uh, that's that's because based on performance this season I know I know who you've got already I can guess yeah but based on performance this season he hasn't actually played that many minutes but he's scored a lot of goals for the minutes he's played. Yeah. Um, it's a shame, well, it's not a shame for me, but it's a shame for him that the rest of the team around him aren't doing so well. Yeah. Because um, if they were, I can, Im- I can imagine you put Rashford in a team like City or uh, uh, Liverpool, he's going to score a hell of a lot of goals. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. And, and that's why he's in the England squad, because he's definitely going to have a good supply with... Madison, Sancho, um, Sterling and Mount. So I can just imagine him scoring a lot of goals. And also, when you look at this team, we're talking about an England squad here. 
at not a club squad. And I know you have to choose players based on their club performances, obviously. But Rashford is another, like Barkley, that just seems to turn up for England. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Sterling and Sancho, exactly the same for me. Uh, you said that you'd be able to you'd be able to guess uh, who I've gone for up front. Um, it's probably no surprise because of how vocal I've been about him um, over the last few podcasts. Gone for Vardy up front. I know he's retired, um, but there was a um, there was reports that he was now uh, considering and was open to um, an England return, um, and you can see why because uh, he's finished his Premier League top scorer this season I think he's a fantastic player I think the only travesty and the only um, thing that Southgate did wrong in the World Cup was not give Vardy more of a chance um, and yeah Vardy goes in for me um, the one debate I did say I wanted to have with you when we picked our 23 um, was the Kane debate you've gone for Rashford as your striker I've gone for Vardy you know, yeah. that even makes it um more of a debate because we're not set what we're not saying that um we agree that the best striker for England is the same player. But what we are agreeing on is that it isn't Harry Kane. Obviously Harry yeah. Kane is, is is the captain. How um out of your I mean you picked four centre forwards, obviously uh, setting aside the Rashford debate where he plays, but you know, he has played centre forward, so that that's fine. You've got Rashford Kane, Vardy and Tammy Abraham four centre forwards which isn't something that England do an awful lot out of those four centre forwards who, where does Kane come out of those four choices? Um, you already said it, third yeah, just behind um, and Abraham fourth I, I presume yeah, Abraham fourth um, but that could change soon as well Yeah, Kane's form hasn't been great I know he finished his World Cup top scorer so it's difficult then to say oh he's not the best best striker in the England team yeah and he has been injured as well this season hasn't he and he has been injured of course um do I think the England squad would miss him that much though if they were to play if they were to play um Rashford instead no 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 if they were to play Vardy instead no if they were to you know Tammy Abraham instead okay maybe a bit more but Not this. It's the same as we saw with Tottenham. They he wasn't missed that much at Tottenham, and it was quite funny because he got an injury, and everyone, uh, I say everyone, a lot of people were going, "Ah, oh, Tottenham's better without Kane." Yeah. Tot- England could be better without Kane. Yeah, and potentially. You just don't know that, and that's why I thought, well, you go with other players because, all right, Kane is a very good finisher. He can shoot the football. All right, he can score goals, but can he? Has he got the pace that Vardy's has? Has can can he skin players like Rashford does? Yeah. No. Yeah. So there you go. That's that's all the justification I need. I think. Yeah. Fair enough. Um. Well, there. Those are our uh, England one to 11s and our England twenty threes. Obviously, if you disagree, agree, have any opinions, or have any questions, don't forget to get in touch with us. Um, it is now time to move on to uh, this week's edition of Gibberish to Dundee, where we look at the latest transfer rumours from this week and assess how likely they are to happen based on a scale of gibberish, unlikely, likely, Dundee. Um, there are four uh, transfer rumours that I have picked out. Um, I picked these out uh, simply because these are all players that um, are 
out of contract this summer. Um, so are available um, without a transfer fee. So I haven't done the transfer values of the players like we did last week. Um, the first one I'd like to talk about, which does look like he won't be playing for his team at the start of next season, is William. Uh, I say that because there's this ongoing debate. I, I think he's in his early 30s, isn't he now, William? Yeah. Um, there's this ongoing debate that he wants to sign a three-year deal somewhere competitive. Um, Lampard and Chelsea will only offer him two two years and William has put his foot down and said that is not enough um, the two teams he's been linked with are Liverpool and Arsenal um, for me Arsenal is more likely um, Arsenal are being linked with a lot of players at the moment um, according to Metro uh, the, the newspaper Metro um, William has admitted that he will be open to leaving Chelsea in the summer and will be happy to go to either Arsenal or Tottenham. So he's at the point now where he's so desperate to get this three-year deal that if he will be offered it at Chelsea's biggest rivals, um, and you know he has said that Chelsea's been a massive part of him and he wouldn't take leaving Chelsea lightly, um, but he is happy to move to their two biggest rivals um, if he's offered the contract, Jack. Right, I think... He's been an absolute um, star for Chelsea. He's been a, a, done a great service for the club. And whatever he wants to do, I don't think it can be argued. I'm just going to say that first off. Yeah. I know it's going to cause some, some upset if he does move to a rival club, but it has to be understood that the first option that he wanted was to get a longer contract extension at Chelsea and they haven't given it to him. Yeah. Um, but moving on to the actual transfer rumours uh, themselves... I've, I've seen something recently that Steven Gerrard went and had a chat with William personally uh, in 2004-2005 and said, look, come to Liverpool. William was almost dead set on going to Liverpool yeah. until his wife said, until his wife said, no, I want to live in London. Right. So does he now want to take up that opportunity 15 years later? Possibly. Um because he, he might be ready for a change and he said he wants to go to a competitive side. Yeah. The most competitive level you can get right now. Um, so I actually can't see why that couldn't happen. It would be a very attractive deal for William to go to a Champions League winning side uh, uh, and the new Premier League winning side. Um and it would also be good for Liverpool to get a free transfer of William, such a such a high quality player. Uh, and we've talked about on the radio show back at Newcastle on the, previously on the podcast. Liverpool need to reinforce their attacking options, so I, I can't see why they wouldn't go for him. Yeah, what do you think then? Um, because obviously he would be offered two different squad roles, um, depending on the club he goes to. It's likely if he goes to Arsenal or Tottenham. Um, that he's, he's going to be more likely to break into the first team more often than he would at Liverpool. You know, at Liverpool, he is going to be, if if Salah stays, but even if Salah goes, you, you'd think they'd probably get um, a, an option which was slightly better than William. It's likely that William will play um, as a backup to Salah. Would William, do you think, be um, prepared to play backup for Salah when he could be first team uh, at at a place like Tottenham, or certainly a lot closer, you know, maybe behind Pepe, 
um, at Arsenal, but would be getting much more, well, not necessarily much more, but certainly more um, first-team football. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say because he definitely wouldn't be a starting option for Liverpool. Um, but then he hasn't been starting option for Chelsea for a lot of this season, yeah, really. that's true. That's so true. it's whether he has to accept that he's getting on a bit now, coming to the, the we'll say, winter of his career. Yeah. Um, so he needs to understand that he isn't he isn't a first-team player. Um, and then relating to Arsenal, I'm not sure why Arsenal would want to uh, go for that move. All right, it's a, it's a free transfer, but when Arteta's came in and he's trying to rebuild the squad, why are you then bringing in a, winner, a winger who's going to leave you after three years because he's too yeah. old now? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get this one on the scale. We'll get this uh, transfer deal moving, this rumour moving. Um, William to Liverpool. Gibberish to Dundee. No, I'm going to put it on likely. Okay. I can I can just see it happening. I don't see why it wouldn't. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm gonna I'm probably gonna put it slap bang in the middle of everything. Uh, just because I'm always I'm always um reluctant to do anything else other than um than than put Liverpool attacking transfer rumours slap bang in the middle because we're being linked with all sorts of caliber of player, aren't we? And and nobody really knows who we're gonna sign. Werner's looking the most likely. Um, but then, yeah. you know, if Mbappe comes in, that automatically affects every other signing that Liverpool will make in the summer. I think to a certain extent, Werner will also affect, depending on who leaves the club. Um, you know, if if none of um, Mane, Salah or Firmino leave and Werner comes in, surely Liverpool aren't going to do that much more reinforcement up front. No, you can't, you can't see it happening, but... It's kind of looking like one of the front three is going to leave. Yeah. Um, what about uh, Arsenal? William to Arsenal. Uh, I'll put it on unlikely. Yeah. Um, I know he said that he, you know, he would go, but then it's just a matter of I, I can't see that being. It's just not a very positive move from Arsenal. Yeah. And Tottenham. Uh, I same unlikely. Okay. But yeah. actually, no, no, let me change that. I'd say that's likely with Mourinho being the manager. Yeah, it, it's a tough one, really. I'm reluctant to put it in likely for Spurs, but I'd say out of the three, for me, it's not for you, but for me, it's he's most likely to go to Spurs for me. Um, but it's I still still saying that it's likely that he will go to Spurs. I'm not I'm not hundred percent confident saying that, but to say. To say it's um, unlikely is not giving it the credit it deserves. I don't think. No. Yeah, I I put it I put it there or thereabouts with Mourinho being the manager, um, but then he's also linked to Juve, who are yeah uh, the old lady being the queen of free transfers. Yeah. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's move on to another rumor. Um, this one we've got uh, four clubs to analyse. Um, for this player, uh, Adam Lallana, uh, out of contract in Liverpool this summer. Um, I do part of me does think it's a shame that uh, his contract won't be renewed. Um, Southampton actually, there's five clubs. Beg your pardon. There's five clubs um, reported to be interested. Southampton have recently uh, joined the race for him. Obviously, wanting wanting him back. Um, 
But Leicester seem to be the team that are most likely to sign him because of his relationship with Brendan Rodgers. And um, apparently Leicester are, according to The Guardian, are closing in on, um, on signing him. The five clubs that are reported to be interested are Southampton, Leicester, uh, Tottenham, West Ham and, again, Arsenal. Um, we'll talk about Leicester last because they seem to be the most important one. Let's see if we can shift some of the ones that seem to be gibberish. Um, we'll start with two of the London clubs, Spurs and Arsenal. What do you, on the face of it, what do you make of Lalana to either uh, Tottenham or Arsenal? Yeah, I think we can get these ones done quite quickly. Um, he's not going to go there, is he? It's. It, I would say it's unlikely. Certainly to certain. I was about to say certainly not to Arsenal, but actually, it depends what Arteta's plans are. You certainly wouldn't predict on the face of it that a player like Lalana, at the age that he is, is going to go and join. Um, a young manager's team that wants to rebuild, but you know, like Odi and Nagalo signed for Man United on loan in in January, so I'm not too sure. But they certainly, out of the clubs that are reported to be interested, I would certainly put Spurs and Arsenal as the two unlikely ones. Yeah. Also, why why would they want uh, a Liverpool player who can't make? It? I know it's difficult for Liverpool players to make the squad right right now with how good the starting eleven is. Yeah. But he can't make the squad there. Um, he's he's been a bit of a you know he was a, meant to be this big England sensation the next the next best midfielder um, and he hasn't been so why do they want to pick him up now the, towards the the latter stage of his career yeah yeah no that's uh, I'd agree with you on that one um, I don't really know what to make of this next one. Um, just because it, it doesn't really see it, it seems like a potential signing, but it, it depends on what's going on behind the scenes. We'll pair these two these next two clubs together. Um West Ham and Southampton, obviously two teams that are um sort of knocking around in the same position. Um obviously Southampton in a slightly better position. Despite that though, part something in me says that it's more likely that he would go to West Ham than he would return to Southampton. Yeah, I, I can almost see a return, though. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, but then neither would uh, neither would West Ham. It would be a great addition to the, the West Ham team. Yeah. Uh, and they're looking to, they're looking to reinforce and um, challenge more at the, the top half of the table. Yeah. So with a with a technically gifted player who's not quite good enough for the likes of Spurs, Arsenal, City, Liverpool. Um I don't see why he couldn't end up at a club, club like West Ham. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly, um, it's certainly possible. The most likely one I think is definitely definitely Leicester. Yeah, let's talk about that then. So obviously um in constant talks Leicester and Lalana um, looks like Madison could be going. Um, do you know, if Rogers can keep hold of Madison, then that that is brilliant. Um, but nonetheless, you know, as you said, Lana probably isn't. If he, if Leicester are interested, and it seems the most obvious deal, Lalana probably isn't expecting to be in in the first team. You know, in the starting 11, 20, 25 games in the Premier League that season, is he? You know, he's probably it's probably going to be a fringe. Um, player role that he's going to play um that could work couldn't it yeah and uh, as you said that they're, they're already in talks he'd be happy to go there with having had a good relationship with brendan rogers madison leaving now but looking likely to leave 
They need another player who... Um, the, the key feature about Lanana is that he can read the game. Yeah. So uh, another player like that would be, um, as I've said, for West Ham would be a great addition to the Leicester squad. Yeah. It would give it would give Lalana the opportunity to see out um, his career if he wants to stay there. Yeah. Um, playing for a, a team that actually are going to consistently challenge for the top four yeah. without being one of those um, in, in inverted com uh, inverted whatever they are. <laughs> um, Big six sides. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um. So let's we let's uh finish that rumor then. So just one word. No more justification. I know it's hard. Um, Lalana to Spurs. Gibberish. Lalana to Arsenal. Gibberish. Lalana to Southampton. Unlikely. Lalana to West Ham. Middle. And Lalana to Leicester. Likely. Wow, five decisions and you've just made there, and I agreed with every single one of them. We're gonna we're gonna have to knock down the head, aren't we? <laughs> um, yeah, I I I'd, I'd agree with that. To be honest, um, I think we can probably discount uh, Spurs and Arsenal, West Ham and Southampton. You know, I might raise an eyebrow if it happens, but you know, I'd I'd forget about it. Lalana to Leicester would seem a likely option, but if it doesn't happen at the same time, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a major blow to him, would it? No, no. Uh, let's look at the next one. I think this one would be pretty quick one to be honest. It's Ryan Fraser. Um, I've put in in the notes Fraser to Liverpool and Arsenal. To be honest, there hasn't been any renewed interest in Ryan Fraser to Liverpool, um, but he has been a player that's been linked with Liverpool for for a number of seasons, most recently as well. He has been linked quite a lot to Arsenal though. Um, but then recently, um, according to a source in London, uh, Spurs have entered the race for Fraser, and he would ha- he said obviously that he would happily join Spurs. Um, you expect, I mean, I expect, I'm sure you expect as well, Fraser to leave Bournemouth, especially if they, well, not yeah, especially if they go down. But even if they don't go down, um, I would expect Fraser to leave Bournemouth if there is interest, and if Spurs are reported to be interested. It seems like Fraser's time at Bournemouth is coming to an end. Yeah, definitely, especially as you say, with so much interest. Yeah, uh, I think Liverpool. I've talked about reinforcing those options as of uh, wingers, um, but then we've seen we've actually seen Klopp change like Junior Van Alden from a left winger to a midfielder. You could possibly do the same with uh, Fraser and play yeah. him like almost like a cater sort of role at Liverpool. Yeah. Um, so perhaps that could happen. He's got a good Scottish link with Robbo. Yeah. Um, but realistically, do I think it's going to happen? Uh, compared to Arsenal or Spurs, um, no. I think Arsenal and Spurs are more likely. Yeah. They need players like him more desperately than Liverpool do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think he'll be more willing to go there in the knowledge that he'll be able to start more games. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's uh, it's Arsenal Spurs if he's going to move, and it's likely that he'd probably move to one of one of those two. Um, what would you say is more likely than I'd say I'd say Spurs personally? It's difficult to say. Um, uh, that one rests on actually because we've mentioned William going to either Spurs or Arsenal. That one uh, could depend on where William ends up going. Yeah. Um, 
and also think, who the manager is at Spurs. I think uh, with with um, Mourinho being at Spurs. Yeah, well, you know whether whether Ryan Fraser is a target for Mourinho, um, and whether he would work under Mourinho's system. Do you think he would? I'm not sure, to be honest. It it, it seems like a very peculiar signing uh, for Mourinho, to be honest. Um, yeah. But at the same time, to be honest, actually, based on the fact that Mourinho is the manager at Spurs, if it was coming down to him, I would put it in the unlikely, just because I can't see Fraser at the same club as Mourinho. But that might be because he's played at Bournemouth for so many seasons. Um, really? But I, I don't know. I think I'd put him more more likely going to Arsenal. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, um, so putting that on the scale, then we're going Liverpool unlikely. Yeah. Um, Arsenal. Arsenal, I'll say, at the bottom end of likely. Okay. No, um, no, actually, no. I'll say likely. Okay. Just, just sort of middle in there. Okay. And Spurs. The bottom end of likely. Okay. I'd probably switch those those last two around. I think it's um it 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 depends on what Mourinho wants to to buy in, in the transfer market. And also, you know, again, it's like the opposite of what's going on at Liverpool. It actually depends on who leaves um Spurs. I mean, you know, if Kane goes, um they're gonna have to go after you know, a really a, a big striker. They're gonna have to they lose Kane, who is this, you know, big player for, for Tottenham, they're gonna have to use that money to go and buy another Kane. Not necessarily the same style of football, but uh, a a number nine that is gonna be relied on to score sort of twenty, twenty five goals a season. Yeah. Um and that will obviously impact, you know, if, if Kane stays, maybe Fraser could potentially be more likely. Um if Kane goes, it might it might push this this rumor out a little bit. I think with with Fraser, it, he's definitely going to go, in my opinion. Um, but definitely going to leave Bournemouth. Then it's just a matter of where he does end up. Um, and those two seem relatively likely. Yeah. Um, we're, we're leaving our clubs. You know, th- this is just me now um, speculating, but we're leaving out the clubs like. Um, the Evertons or the Newcastles who are now suddenly got a bit of money behind them and want to get these new players in. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, potentially. You, you, you just don't know. But do I see him leaving Bournemouth? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and let's move on to the final thing for today, the final uh, transfer rumour, uh, which is Dries Mertens to Chelsea. This, for me, even though I'm a, a Liverpool um, fan, it seems like a rather exciting and also likely signing. Um, I think I think a move a move to the Premier League for Mertens um, is what Mertens needs, and potentially also what the Premier League needs. Not necessarily needs, but it would certainly be an exciting addition to the Premier League. Yeah, I've I've uh, got some notes on this one. I'd like to I'd like to just go for it for a minute. Right, so in January. Lampard was all over this. He, he fancied getting Mertens into Chelsea, yeah. and yeah, it seemed it seemed likely. Yeah, yeah. Um, since then, Tammy Abraham picked up a few injuries. Um, they, they weren't able to get him first of all. Um, Tammy Abraham picked up a few injuries, and Giroud stepped in. Um, Giroud did his job well. Um, managed to um, fit the bill. We've seen that he can turn up. 
um, like in the Super Cup when he did against his previous club. Yeah. Um, has just signed a contract extension, which then sort of makes the Mertens deal a lot less likely because that just seems strange to me. Why would they then sign a contract extension with Giroud and then go and sign Mertens as well, who's actually 32 years old? Um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It would cause a strange atmosphere to bring in a 32-year-old striker who scored 20 goals this season, 20 less goals this season than he did two seasons ago. Yeah. He's only scored 12 goals this season which is the same amount as Tammy Abraham, who's been injured. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's a stupid rumour, in my opinion. It, when you look at it, just on the face of it, you say, oh, seems likely, big player, you know, going to Chelsea, he's been a prolific striker for his club. But no, I just, I cannot see it happening now. I would say, I, I understand where you're coming from, uh, based on what you've said. I probably would say that um, it's not, if I was a Chelsea fan, I probably wouldn't um, probably wouldn't be overly enamoured by the fact that they were being linked with with Dries Mertens. But um, I mean, the the press seems to think it, it, it's likely um, they believe that uh, the move to Chelsea would unlock the potential of Hudson Odoi actually, <clears throat> and um, apparently uh, Lampard uh, is publicly in constant talks with with Mertens and Napoli. Um, as a <clears throat> excuse me, as a neutral fan, um, in terms of what happens at Chelsea, I'm not really too bothered about. Cause I don't see Chelsea as much of a threat at the moment. I'm not too bothered about who they sign, but um, it would be it would be nice to see Mertens come into the Premier League. I understand where you're coming from. Um, it'd be it'd be good to see him, but it's probably not the most ambitious um, signing that Lampard could make. I agree. I think it'd be good to see him in the Premier League. I think he's he's proven that he can perform on the big stage and he's he's actually been one of the best in the world yeah um so yeah from a neutral perspective i quite actually quite like to see him in the premier league similar to how um when higuain went to chelsea i was it was quite exciting to see him in the premier league yeah um but it, it, it's a pointless transfer it it makes absolutely no sense because they've already got a proven veteran in Giroud in the Premier League uh, Mertens you don't know how he's going to perform in the Premier League mm. his form is going is decreasing every single year and on the other hand you've got this up and coming striker who has been able to be up there this league uh, within um, the range of the most goals scored for the season yeah and possibly the uh, I mean the the, the Giroud um Contract extension is the thing that surprises me. Um, I mean, Mertens is, is is for me, even regardless of the gamble involved, I think is a better option than Giroud simply because of pace. Um, you know, Mertens, Mertens doesn't run at the pace that his age would suggest, I would say. He, he, he's a quicker player. Um, and, you know, on a free transfer, it depends on what the wage would be. Um, but I can't. I I honestly can't think why. If if Lampard is in constant talk with Mertens and Napoli, why Giroud has just signed a contract extension? Yeah, exactly. Because you'd think Giroud would have more sense than that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, unless you know they're so, trying to eye up a, a a move for him to you know to he signs a contract extension so his value goes up and so that you know Chelsea can sell him and get money for him, but. 
you can't really see him moving anywhere for much more than ten million pound, can you? Really, Giroud? No. How much did he go to Chelsea for? Was that a free or? Uh, it was certainly less than ten million. I'm sure whether it was a free or not, it, it was it was a very cheap deal. Yeah, um, so his value is not going to have increased, is no, it? No, no, no. Um, so I think we'll probably disagree on this one. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Mertens to Chelsea in the likely category, um, just because of the amount of coverage it's getting. Um, not necessarily saying it's it's the right option for Chelsea, um, but I'm gonna put it at the bottom end of likely. Where are you gonna put it? Um, I'm gonna put it in the unlikely bracket. Yeah. Uh, I've been talking like you'd expect me to put it in gibberish, but purely because of the amount of coverage it's getting uh, and how desperate Lampard was and probably still is to sign him, yeah. I can't put it in gibberish, so I'll put it in unlikely. Fair enough. Uh, that is it for this weekend. We've run massively over time, uh, but we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And as always, if you have, uh, please spread the word. We both really appreciate listening in to us. Please get in touch if there are any questions or topics you would like us to talk about. Uh, Jack, as usual, will be hosting next weekend's podcast when we'll have that definitive decision from the Premier League about what's going on. Um, it will be available on Anchor and on Spotify next Saturday from 7pm. Um, but until then, have a good week and a very good evening.